You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 434, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Gemma Isroff. Hey, Gemma, what is new with you? Hey, how's it going? Actually, there's a new kind of hobby I've been trying out that I wanted to talk to you about because I know you have definitely a former interest in this. I've been trying rollerblading a little. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So, So where are you currently located and where are you attempting to rollerblade? I'm in New York City and along the West Side Highway in Manhattan, there's bike path. So I go on there. It's pretty smooth. They're bikers to dodge. (laughs) But other than that, it's pretty smooth. Yeah, pretty good path. I know you used to do roller derby. Yeah. So I am pretty good at four wheels, but I am so impressed with the people who can do blades because to me, it's so similar to ice skating where you're not only trying to keep yourself upright, but you're also trying to keep your ankles upright. So what made you decide to try out rollerblading? A year ago, I was staying with my cousin and one of his roommates had rollerblades and I tried them. And then I was in Chicago in the spring visiting a friend on my way to RailsConf and she had rollerblades and we rollerbladed along the lake for a bit. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get a pair of these. They're pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been trying it out. It's such a good feeling when it's hot out and you can go skating because you just like whiz past everything. It's like very refreshing. And man, you really can move fast on them. So like you can move really convenient. Yeah, very fast. I know. I feel like using them as a form of transportation is next level. I'm at the point where I go a while, turn around, come back. But using them to get somewhere would be really fun. Although city streets are probably not the right place for that. Yeah. Okay. So you're definitely encouraging me that I need to get my skates back out and try to do some trail skating again. It's been a hot minute, but yeah, now I want to do it. So I'm going to be that stickler. What kind of safety equipment are you rocking? (laughs) Yeah. I have a helmet that I wear. I don't know. I didn't purchase knee pads. So maybe I should get a pair of those. Thankfully, I fell once when I was in Chicago on my butt. So no pads would have helped me there, but I haven't fallen the city yet. Okay. So the programmer in me is going to tell you this. I think the knee pads are great. It's really convenient if you do fall and it will cause you to probably be a little riskier than if you didn't have them. The big thing that I would say, Gemma, is get yourself a pair of wrist guards because if you fall and break your hand, I know what a talented developer you are and you you don't want to risk those (laughs) great hands. (laughs) It's funny. I don't think of my hands as a work tool, but I guess they, they sure are. are. <laughs> How about you? How are you doing? You I'm so good. Much? I am infamously really terrible about taking time off and I'm really trying to prioritize that. So this past week I did a staycation and basically had an incredibly selfish week of doing whatever I wanted and had a little bit of an identity crisis because I cut off maybe 80% of my hair and so I'm getting used to that. I have a 360 undercut now. So I basically shave from ear to ear and then cut off like the majority of my hair. And so basically my goal right now is to just keep making appearance changes. So many that the next time people see me, they won't be able to recognize you. Yeah, it's up right now. (laughs) It is. As a listener, Brittany is wearing her hair up, so I can't tell. For all you know, I could have shaved my head. (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't be able to see. But maybe I'll see it down soon. Well, speaking of seeing each other in person, I wanted to spend the majority of this episode talking about RubyConf Mini. And as the listeners know, the last time that Gemma was on, she had talked about the problem that she wanted to solve here. And Gemma, I'm always going to commend you for this. You see a problem, you go out there and you solve it. 
And so I really want to back up and talk about what RubyConf Mini is and why you decided to organize it. And then I just have a zillion questions for you about what it's like to organize a conference. So let's start with that. I have a lot of questions about what it's like to organize a conference too. Yeah. Thanks. I'm looking forward to talking about this. So RubyConf Mini, what it is, it's an additional option in addition to the bigger RubyConf taking place in Houston this year. We'll have RubyConf Mini taking place in Providence, Rhode Island two weeks before. It's going to have about 200 people there. And kind of why the additional option? I guess we have a lot of non-US-based listeners who might not be familiar with what's happened in the U.S., but within the state of Texas, the government has put out some pretty severe anti-trans directives and also abortion is not legal. And so that makes Texas a place where certain people, because of their identity, do not feel comfortable or cannot go, just literally cannot go. And so the why behind RubyConf Mini is, to me... It's not acceptable that on the basis of their identity, people can't go to a professional event. And so I worked with Ruby Central, which puts on RubyConf to come up with this additional option where everyone can feel comfortable going and can go regardless of their identity. And so it's an additional option for folks. Why was it important to you to have an additional conference where people could attend in person versus doing a virtual option? Yeah, I wanted to tell people that they were valid and valued members of our community and not give them some second class version of the RubyConf experience and do that through actions. I think I was very much raised on this fundamental premise that actions speak louder than words. And the words I kind of I just said some version of, but to me, the action is RubyConf many. And that's kind of, yeah, put my actions where my beliefs are. And I think we know that Virtual conferences, while great, are not the same as in-person conferences. I think that's been pretty well established. And so giving folks just like, hey, if you can't come to Houston, here's the virtual option is a second class or a worse experience pretty objectively. So I wanted to really try replicate the real thing as much as we could. I love that. So who's currently involved now around organizing this? Because organizing a conference is a huge undertaking. So I'm curious who's on your team. So... Andy Kroll, who we've talked about on the podcast before, who organizes Brighton Ruby, has been an incredible support system for me in organizing this. And Emily Samp, formerly Emily Gerleo, is also helping out with the organization here, which is really, I'm grateful to have both of them. And then I think we're going to pull in different people for different parts to help with. Like, for instance, you will be helping with organizing the podcast panel that we'll have there. I am so excited about that. And I feel really honored that you've made a space for that on the regular schedule. I'm really psyched about that because the podcast panel is usually one of my biggest highlights of these conferences. So as of right now, when we're recording this, this is the last day to submit your CFP. Yesterday was. Yesterday was. (laughs) Good thing I got my CFP. (laughs) That date wrong. But, you know, where are we currently standing on how many CFPs come in? And at this point, when this gets released, we'll probably have some acceptances out, right, Gemma? Yes, we should hopefully have acceptances out by the time this is released. I think we had almost 150 CFPs to both conferences. And I think a little under half of those were to Providence, which was really, really just fun to see so many ideas. I've never been on this side of the CFP process where I can see all the talks at this phase when their ideas are just thoughts. 
And so I'm looking forward to a weekend full of reviewing those and going through them and learning what all people are excited to share with us at the conference. I have never seen so much collaboration around CFPs in my life because I probably two days ago, we were maybe at half of that. And it's just incredible within WNB, within Twitter, within Reddit, you see all these people coming together and drafting their proposals and bouncing ideas off each other. I feel like a lot of these CFPs ended up being a real community effort. And I don't know, that just gives me the warm and fuzzies. That's uh, yeah. I love that. I love collaboration and I'm sure it made for a really strong batch of CFPs. Did you work with other people on yours? I did actually. I always value getting that second opinion because sometimes you look at it and it makes total sense to you and then you have someone else look at it. And ideally for me, I love it when junior developers review my CFPs because typically my CFPs tend to be aimed at all levels, but it's incredibly important to me that they're accessible to junior developers. And I think we can all agree, listeners, that junior developers just ask the best questions. And so it's just so helpful in order to do those things. This episode is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Okay. Well, one thing that I really want to talk about, Gemma, and this is something that you and I have talked about privately and things that I have been talking about in DMs and Twitter, and I want to just lay it out there. Who is invited to RubyConf Mini? The whole goal and the premise around RubyConf Mini is for it to be an inclusive space, right? A place where anyone can come regardless of their identity. I think we don't want to set up any sort of exclusion and also just want to call out any sort of judgment around who's going to which conference or why they're going or a need to prove or really explain why you've picked what you picked. Obviously, there are many parts to someone's identity that they could very validly not want to explain, especially in a professional setting. And so we're, as the organizers, putting measures in place to make sure that people who absolutely need tickets to RubyConf Mini can get them first. So we're first releasing to the WNB.RB community, and then we'll release to the email list that we've been collecting on our website, rubyconfmini.com, and then we'll release more publicly. And so I think people who are more comfortable in Providence at RubyConf Mini should be able to get tickets and should be able to do it in a way such that they can be sure that people who really needed them have already gotten them. So what I'm hearing from there is if there are tickets are left over and you don't feel that you are part of the class that doesn't feel safe going to RubyConf Maine, then as an ally, you are welcome to come to Mini. Is that fair? Yes, that's definitely fair. There's a story I've been thinking about recently and I was thinking about in anticipation of recording this, which is from a little while ago, but has really been on my mind. I was... 11 at the time. I was a few months shy of 12 and there was a pickup baseball game that few friends and I were going to and there were going to be kids of all different ages. 
and we got there and there were too many kids. And so they decided 12 was the cutoff age, which was reasonable, right? They needed to pick some way to say who could play and who couldn't. And one of my friends had recently turned 12 and didn't play. It was like, I'm not playing. And I talked to her about it and she was like, well, if they don't let you play, I don't want to play either. And that was just really meaningful to me. I remember hearing that and seeing her take that action again to me. Actions are it and being like, yeah, just feeling really seen and heard. And obviously there's nuance there. Obviously, had she played, there would have been, I'm sure other people she would have been helping out. But to me, that was really meaningful and I think always stuck with me. And again, not coming from a place of judgment or coming from a place of beginning to understand why people will make whatever decision they'll make. But just really remembering for me that that was meaningful. I love that so much. Thanks for sharing that, Gemma. I think a big part for RubyConf Mini for me as well, I'm someone who started writing Ruby and Rails in 2014. And I worked at a hosting company that I've talked about on the show before. And part of that was traveling to the different regional conferences. And I would do sponsorship booths and things like that. And the thing that I love about RubyConf Mini is not only is it a place that people can feel safe traveling to, but also it feels very regional conference again. It's the nostalgia kid in me who is kind of eager to see that Sin City Ruby vibe again, that bright Ruby vibe, like the small scale. So I'm curious, Gemma, like how many tracks are you looking at? How are you keeping things small or do you feel things are big? I'm curious your take. Yeah, I feel like they're definitely going to be smaller than RubyConf Houston. And I'm really excited about that too. Also, Providence as a place is just so inclusive and vibrant that I'm looking forward to people experiencing that. But we'll have two rooms where talks and workshops will be taking place. So at some parts of the day, I'm actually, I was working on the schedule just before this to figure out exactly how many talks we'll accept. Some parts of the day, we'll have talks going in two rooms or a workshop in the second room and a talk in the main room. And some parts like keynotes or the panels, which we're going to have a few different panels, I think we'll have just in the main room. So it's kind of semi-double-tracked, if you will. I love that because for me, I love it when it's a few tracks because I end up being in talks that I didn't mean to be in. And I end up learning the best lessons because it's very much like a book by its cover. Sometimes I look at a talk title and think, oh, this isn't for me. And then like halfway into the talk, I'm like, holy crap, I needed this. I needed to hear this talk. Yeah. I know you've been on program committees before. How did you think about balance in terms of talks? That's something on my mind as we're looking through the CFP. Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's so important to have a good mix of non-technical and technical talks. I think that it can be incredibly easy to just book all technical talks because people look at it and they're like, oh, it's a Ruby conference. Like we should only be talking about Ruby. And to be honest with you, I think you miss a lot of the storytelling that you can get from the non-technical talks and the accessibility, but you don't want it to be all non-technical talks. You have to remember that you're sending developers to this. They're justifying it to their employers as I'm learning things about Ruby that I'm going to come back and be able to apply my job. So I kind of like the two to one ratio, probably two technical talks to one non-technical talk. But I'm curious what you think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, for sure. I've been thinking especially about we're in the process of getting keynote speakers to agree to talk and a, a variety of different keynote talks and topics that the keynotes will be on. So I'm thinking about it especially there, but I also agree. I think also something on my mind has been 
when we actually make the schedule, when we turn the talks we accept into a schedule, I want to be sure the talks we're putting at the same time to really try to do it where there's not an overlap in potential interest. Like I know sometimes they'll put one technical talk in one room and one non-technical talk in another room and it's, ah, I want to go to both. Whereas technical talks on very different topics going on simultaneously, I think would maybe have more just divided audiences where people didn't feel like they were really missing something they wanted to see. Oh, that's a really good take because I think most organizers would pit the technical versus the non-technical talk, but I completely agree with you on that front. You're almost in the mood at the one o'clock time slot. You know, I've had lunch. I'm ready to do a technical <laughs> talk. Like, <laughs> give me two choices. I either right. want to get my laptop out and like dive into a workshop or I want to listen to someone really smart talk on a technical topic. I think that's right. really, really clever. Or like a really advanced topic and a very junior topic going on at once so that it's pretty clear. Love that. That there's not going to be a lot of overlap in the interest, maybe. So a little more on the organizing front. How many tickets are you going to have available for RubyConf Mini? And just to make it clear to listeners, even if you have a sellout, is that enough support in order to support the conference? Yeah. So we should hopefully hit the budgets we've drawn up with a sellout. We'll have about 200 attendees. Some of those will be volunteers. Some of those will be speakers. So still figuring out the exact number of tickets we'll sell. I'm pretty excited on the volunteer front. There are a few universities in Providence, Rhode Island, and I want to go to their computer science departments and ask if some of the students, especially from women in computer science group or Hispanic or blacks in computer science groups, ask if some of them would be interested in volunteering in exchange for tickets. I feel like that's such a way to engage with the local university students who are already studying this. So I'm hoping to do That's been the really fun part for me about organizing a conference is there are all these ideas that we can just put into play. Do you still need sponsorship in order to pull off the conference budget? We do need sponsorship. Thank you for prompting that. We do. If any listeners are interested in sponsoring RubyConf Mini, please, please, please let us know. You can reach us at contact at rubyconfmini.com. We're on Twitter. We have a website. We can link it all in the show notes. Please come check it out and let us know if you're interested in sponsoring. We have some fun. I was saying earlier, we'll have a few different panels. One will be the podcast panel. One will be kind of trans issues panel. And one will also be a sponsors panel where we want to put sponsors on a stage and have the audience ask them questions around what it's like to work at the company or things like that. So I'm looking forward to that from a sponsorship perspective. Also, like you said, the smaller atmosphere should make it really accessible for folks to be able to actually engage with the sponsors. Hi, everyone. It's Brian, your co-host. I'd like to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that's the software consultancy I co-founded in 2001, Atlantis Technology. Some of the longtime listeners here may know, Mirror was born out of Atlantis back in 2006 when we figured, let's try being Ruby engineers who recruit Ruby engineers. It was a unique idea that clicked and now has become my life's work. But while I've been growing Mirror for the past 15 years, Atlantis has continued to grow as well. Atlanta still specializes in Ruby on Rails software development and collaborates on some pretty meaningful projects. Here are a couple of my favorites. An interactive education tool to help elementary school students learn how to read. How cool is that, right? Second is a SaaS application for clinics and hospitals to treat patients remotely. So my point is the work we do is really meaningful and impactful to others. But the best part is the work gets done by great developers who also happen to be great people. 
Atlantis has always attracted egoless, empathetic engineers who love working together, and we are actively seeking more remote engineers to help build the future for our clients. While I'm not doing the actual recruiting for Atlantis myself, since my time is so focused on mirror clients, it'd be my privilege to connect you with our CTO and co-founder, John Collier, who after 19 years, I still describe as one of the most relentlessly positive human beings I know. If you'd like to meet John and hear more about working at Atlantis, just drop me an email at brian at mirrorplacement.com and I'll make an intro or apply directly at atlantistech.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. So I want to seem like someone who knows how to travel. And I love that on the website, you give multiple options in order to travel to Providence. I've never been to Providence before, and I'm super eager to go. Now, if I was cool, would I fly into Boston? Would I fly into Providence? Part of me so wants to take the train. What would you do if you were me, Gemma? The route from Pittsburgh, I don't know. I went to university in Providence. I've never flown into the airport there. To me, Boston is so easy. And usually Boston is one flight, whereas the flight to Providence is two. So to me, Boston is easier. But yeah, from Pittsburgh, I think you could even drive potentially. I don't know exactly how long that drive is. Maybe like eight hours. Yeah, so probably fly to Boston and then would be a nice direct flight and then take the train down to Providence. Okay, that sounds good because I imagine there's just so many flights that go into Boston that it's probably really easy and fairly inexpensive to fly into Boston from most parts of the United States and hopefully internationally as well. I think a lot of international flights come in to Boston or JFK. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of our keynote speakers is going to be coming in from London and I was talking to her and I was like, oh yeah, just just fly to Boston. That's an easy direct flight as opposed to going to Chicago and then over to Providence or something like that. So what's been the hardest part about organizing the conference once you were all in agreement that it was going to happen? Has there been anything sneaky? Has there been anything that you've leaned on Andy for? Maybe hotel or finding the venue or just it hit me because we want to see more regional conferences. And I feel like this is like a really great story. So I'd love to hear your lessons. Yeah. As to what I've leaned on Andy for, I would say I messaged him multiple times through most days being like, hey, what's your thought on this? Or like, hey, this versus this. So a lot that I've leaned on Andy for. What's been the hardest part? I think you and I on this podcast talked about goals at the turn of the new year and organizing a conference in 2022 was nowhere on my goals and not really something I had a direction I was interested in growing or pursuing for the year. And so I think that and the fact that it's been just all new for me has been pretty hard. Obviously, I really, really want the conference to happen. And that's fundamentally important to me. It wasn't and I didn't have and still don't really like a strong desire to actually be the one to make it happen. I'm happy to do it. And it's important enough to me that it's worth doing. But it wasn't a way in which I wanted to grow. So yeah, everything from the hotels, I could tell you so many terms about hotel contracts that I just didn't even know existed or (laughs) that I didn't know or things like that. Every single part of the conference is a novelty to me. That said, I think if it were a more regional conference and not trying to be kind of equivalent option to a larger conference, there are things that would make it easier around like venues. For instance, I know Andy for Brighton Ruby doesn't deal with hotels directly, does a venue that's not a hotel and lets people go out on their way for lunch. And so doesn't deal with the catering or the, that side of the negotiation which can make it a lot easier. 
What do you plan on having your role be like during the conference? Do you plan on being loose and out and about? Do you plan on speaking, Gemma? Are you starting to noodle over your role at the actual conference itself? Yeah, I was, as I've been reading some of the talk proposals and just wanting to go to every single one, I was like, oh, am I going to even be able to do this? And I was thinking about that. Hopefully we'll have a really good batch of volunteers there dealing with the day-to-day mostly. I don't think I'll be giving a talk. I thought about maybe giving the RailsConf workshop that I didn't get to give, but one of our keynote speakers is actually going to talk about persuasive communication. And so I feel like that should be really powerful from the let's give a talk standpoint. Yeah, I don't think I'll be giving a talk or workshop. Well, speaking of giving a talk, I was sitting at my computer and I was scrolling through Twitter and I ended up looking up and yelling to my partner, Mike, oh my God, Gemma got her visa. I am so excited for her. (laughs) So you are headed to Japan, aren't you? Thank you. I am on Tuesday. Oh my God. So exciting. I know. You can see from my face. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a small conference. It's time, isn't it? Right? Isn't Kaiji pretty small? Oh, I've obviously never been, but I thought I saw on Twitter or somewhere that pre-pandemic, it was like 1,500 people in person. You're kidding. I really hope I'm not making that up. Okay, well, I, you're going to have to come and tell us. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like a little intimidated by that number. They're double tracked. So it's, I think there's simultaneously one talk in Japanese and one in English, but that is a lot of people. Are you ready to go? I will be. That's the important part. <laughs> What are you speaking about, Akaiji? I'll be speaking about object shapes, which is a project I've been working on for quite a while in Ruby internals. Okay, well, you'll have to let us know if you pick up any good conference organizing tidbits from Kaiji. I swear RubyConf Mini is going to be here just like in the blink of an eye. That is the fun thing about going to lots of different conferences is there are tons of little things that each conference does really well. And so I'm excited to kind of rack them up and be able to put them all together into Mini. Also, I'll be at Yoroku in October, which hopefully we'll pick up a few other tips from there. You're heading to Rail SAS, right? I sure am in October. I am headed to LA, which I have never been to. The conference is at Dream Hollywood. And I think Andrew Culver is attempting to pull off a conference that we've never seen before. And I am just so excited to just experience the experience. So I've got... Rail SAS, and then I'm definitely in for RubyConf Mini is my conferences for the fall. Nice. What? I don't know what Dream Hollywood is. Is that a hotel? Oh, yeah. It's a very fancy hotel. What Andrew is doing, I feel that every conference organizer, they decide this is the thing that I'm going to commit to. This is like the part of the conference that I'm going to optimize on. And so we talked about like the things that you're trying to optimize for, Gemma. What Andrew is really trying to optimize for is production value. He has literally hired like a Hollywood crew to film all of these talks and to really film the entire experience. And so I think it will ultimately have these remnants from this conference that are just very high quality. And I'm curious what he plans on doing with them, but I'm hoping it attracts more people into the community. Yeah, make like a Ruby documentary or something. Exactly. I mean, he, (laughs) he, he thinks big, so... He thinks big for a small conference, which I think is incredibly impressive. Yeah, it's also a kind of regional size, right? Very tiny. I mean, it sold out on day one. I think it's probably around 100 attendees, but don't quote me on that. It is definitely small to the point where you probably will feel like you've met almost all the attendees throughout the conference, which I really love about Mini as well. Yeah, that's really incredible. Yeah, the speaker lineup for RailsS looks very fun. 
Yeah, totally. Is there anything else about Mini that you want to share with the listeners or any calls for support or anything that you want to get out there just before we wrap up? Yeah, I definitely appreciate all the support so far. And I know there are many community members who will be attending this conference who also appreciate it. And so just, yeah, a big thank you to everyone so far who's been able to make it happen. We're really looking forward to seeing everyone in Providence in November. Awesome. Well, you'll definitely be back on the show before it actually happens. So I'm eager to hear all the progress made, to see those acceptances go out, to hear the keynotes get announced. Just all looking up for RubyConf Mini. Thank you so much for giving us a rundown, Gemma. Yeah, thanks for chatting about it with me. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.